how would you like to have hundreds of daughters? We're about to meet a lady who has just such joy. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Dr. Gil Burgos is our guest today on the Chuck Williams Show. Dr. Burgos, welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. The, the intro was a little teasy, but you are the executive director, the new executive director of Girls, Inc. So you do have a lot of daughters, don't you? I do, and I refer to them as my community daughters. And right now, you became the executive director of Girls, Inc., what, four or five months ago? About four months ago. But I, you came into that job uniquely prepared. Tell I, me why. I would say yes, I definitely had a lot of experience prior. Uh, so for the past 20 years, uh, I served both as a volunteer, as a parent, having three daughters of my own. Uh, they're all grown now, but they all went through the Girls Inc. centers and experienced the opportunities that were afforded to them. And then I transitioned uh, over to as a board member. And when the prior administrator decided to resign, um, the board members asked me if I would serve as the interim executive director. And I said, sure. I had recently retired from TSIS after 25 years. And uh, lo and behold, just serving in, as the interim, I fell in love uh, with the operational side. So my span of actually working with Girls, Inc. and being part of that amazing journey has been well over 20 years. Yeah. You know, it's interesting in knowing a thing or two about nonprofits, when somebody goes from the volunteer board side into the operational staff side, that can sometimes be a tough change. But most of those people that make that jump know exactly what they're doing and they know why they're doing it. Do you fall into that category? Um, so far, I feel that. Uh, I, I have been unwavered with uh, the challenges and the opportunities there in that transition. Um, I think one of the great things from my professional background of working at TSIS for over the 25 years is that that leadership um, skill set has been transferable. And so that's been one of the main things that I've been able to bring to, uh, to the Girls, Inc. organizational and operational side is that leadership. I want to switch gears here and talk about a little bit about you and set up coming back to Girls, Inc. Sure. And obviously we'll talk about TSIS, but you are, you are a native of the Chattahoochee Valley, but not necessarily Columbus, right? That is correct. Um, I'm just a little way up the way there at Manchester, Georgia. Uh, graduated back in 1988. Manchester High? Manchester High. We got Cody, Cody Nickel, our, one of our meteorologists, is a proud Manchester graduate. I'm sure he'll, he'll love hearing that. So you, when you graduated from Manchester, where'd you go? I uh, actually started um, and enrolled at Columbus College. I'm dating myself. but <laughs> Cody, Cody Road, not University Boulevard. <laughs> That's right. right. Columbus College, uh, along with my high school sweetheart, and we had just recently married. Um, and so we were both enrolled as students at Columbus College back in 1988. What were you studying? Um, I studied management, uh, business administration, and with a concentration in management. You know, the CSU Business School yeah. is one of the hidden gems in this state, in my opinion. I mean, would you? I mean, you're obviously a product of it, but I mean, the D. Abbott Turner College of Business oh, yeah. is a, is is 
is an impressive school. It is, and it has continued to evolve over the years. And at least when I've attended, have you walked on campus? And oh my goodness, it has just tremendously grown. But the amount of education and programming that they offer for their students, not only just here locally, but the reach that they have outside even of the state has been amazing. So I so, love the growth there. So you're a proud CSU. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so then when you came out of CSU, you went to work in one of the major Columbus companies, right? I did. I did. Um, Tesis, uh, it was, as you know, birthed from Synovus uh, as a credit card industry. And Started so in the basement of the old bank building. It did. It did. And I remember the very first um, all-team meeting that I attended down at the Trade Center. It was about 1,200 employees. Um, and Rick Ushery was our president. And so and now how big a town is Manchester? Is that <laughs> about the whole town of Manchester? That was about the whole town of Manchester. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely correct. But yeah, that's how many, when I first started was about 1200 team members. And Rick Ushery was speaking. He was our president. You know, known, known all of the presidents back to Mr. Ushery and, mm -hmm. and, you know, there's been a long line of community-oriented leadership there before the sale to go, the merger or sale to Global Payments. But, you know, when you look at TSIS, you walked into a culture. What kind of culture did you walk into at TSIS? Oh, that's a great question. Um, someone had asked me that over the years, and they said, well, you know, did you, knew you know you were in the right place? And I will say one of the first things in that team meeting that stuck out to me was um, – Rick said, we are a company of God, of family, and then work. And I honestly knew I was in the right place because those align to the same ethical principles that I was accustomed to. And so that culture of putting faith base and then your family second is exactly what was cultivated. Um, it was not just a great PR message. It was something that every team member felt. And uh, it, it came embedded into the into the way we did business. And our clients actually felt that, too. And, and so, those clients were literally all over the board. Oh, yeah. It, it grew. It grew by leaps and bounds. And so, like I tell you, when I started at 1,200 employees to ending at 15,000 over the course of 25 years, it didn't happen just by choice. It happened very with an intentional growth plan and, and opportunity. But what attracted the, the clients was really the culture and how much we dedicated our sales and our passion to the work that we provided. So you started about the time the Riverfront Campus came. I did. I okay. sure did. And I've, I've actually worked on every floor in that building. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What, what jobs did you hold when you were at TSIS? I started out entry-level client rep one. Um, GE Capital was my very first client. And I handled a great deal of their uh, applications that they were uh, that we were processing for, and so my knowledge continued to expand um, very much on the infrastructure and what we were pro providing for them. And then it just continued to grow. I went from client rep over to a business analyst, 
where I got a little bit on the dark side with uh, programming and having to understand more of the databases and the infrastructure. And then I moved into project management for one of the our premier clients at the time, Sears Roebuck. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so if you remember their retail card and how they then transitioned over to an actual MasterCard brand, yeah. co-brand, I was one of those project managers that worked on that initiative. And so my knowledge just continued to expand over the years. So you were, and you were seeing the change in the way consumers bought stuff too. You were on the front line yeah. of watching the cash go away and, and you know, credit all the way to electronic transactions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And TSIS has been at the forefront of that. Right. They have. They really have. They, at least they've tried to definitely to stay, remain competitive in the market. You're definitely right. So when did you leave TSIS? Or do, any other jobs at TSIS, real quick? Oh, my goodness. I think I probably have worked in 80% uh, before I retired, 80% of the company uh, in some form or fashion, like I said, as a client rep, as a business analyst, as a project manager. And then I transitioned over into leadership and um, multiple, multiple uh, groups and opportunities at, while I was in leadership. And so ultimately, um, one of the things, the last two roles that I served in, um, a new leader came to Columbus, our very first female CIO, uh, Patty Watson. Yep. And uh, she was looking for a chief of staff. Company had never had a chief of staff before. And so uh, one of my mentors uh, actually put me up and recommended me for that role. And I accepted it. And so I became the very first chief of staff uh, to the CIO of the company. And it was after a couple years of serving in that role, the executive leadership decided that they wanted to formally launch a diversity program. And that's something, again, that TSIS had never really been formable about, uh, but had, had had you know several conversations. And many of our clients had actually even asked, where's your diversity program? Because Right, right about that time, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion was becoming not just a PR message that many companies were looking at. They were taking very serious uh, strategic plans. And so that opportunity came before me, and uh, I became the first senior diversity officer of TSIS as well. I want to ask a question. I hope it's fair, but I think sure. you're uniquely qualified to answer it. Define diversity. Representation. It's every component that makes a person unique. And it could be anything from gender to race to education. There, it's over, there are over 50 dimensions of diversity. That's what people don't realize. But the ones that they readily identify, of course, are gender and race and age, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but if you really peel back the, the cover of diversity. Diversity is simply representation. It's anything that can identify a person based on their uniqueness. Um, inclusivity, however, is the environment where all of those diverse aspects are appreciated and welcomed. Do you think diverse organizations and organizations that are not just diverse but embrace that diversity are better organizations? Oh, it's proven. Absolutely. Um, it's proven not from just an intangible welcoming environment where people really feel, you know, that they are uh, appreciated and have an opportunity to share their talents and their gifts. But it's also proven financially that companies that actually do uh, truly invest in inclusivity and diversity and they're very intentional about it perform financially better. 
that's a message that CEOs and people that understand business get. Right. I mean, if you look, I mean, and, and I'll go to a, ta- a company across town. Uh, if you look at the promotions and the organization of Aflac, uh, Dan Amos, the CEO, has built an unbelievably diverse organization. Yes. You know, starting with Teresa White, and 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 it and it filters down all the way. I mean, they've been fairly successful with it, have they not? Oh, they have. He truly a role model. When you, okay, so here you are, a successful business person in the corporate world, somebody who has essentially gotten a master's degree in diversity. What do you see? when you walk into Girls Inc. And more importantly, what does that eighth grade girl see when she sees you walk in? Very good question. Um, We serve uh, predominantly African-American and black young girls that are our clientele that comes in through the doors today. And historically, that has been the clientele, even though it is open to every race, every age from 6 to 18. Uh, and every economic background can walk through our doors. We're not discriminatory in who we offer it to, but that has been our makeup. Um, I think you bring raise a very good point that when they do walk through that door and they see now for the second time in our history since Dorothy Hyatt retired, another African-American woman in a leadership position, that means something. Uh, that means something, that representation that they can now achieve and internalize for them. They said, you know what, I can achieve anything and everything possible that may be faced before me. And that is so important uh, that our young girls see themselves. And so it's been part of not only my personal but my professional journey and appreciation for working at Girls Inc. Is that rewarding to walk in and see these young ladies and you know, young girls, and I'm a girl's dad, so I'll preface this, girls face a unique set of challenges. But if you look at it right now, that some of the challenges that the young girls you serve, even starting as young as six, but certainly in the middle school and early high school phases, they're dealing with COVID in ways that they have had their work. They've gone to virtual learning. Um, you know, they don't know if they're going to be in classroom from one day to the next, although most th- this year's leveled out a little bit. But last year was brutal. Um, end of 20, the end of 2020 was brutal. But you look now at that, and then you also throw the perils of social media into it. I mean, they're dealing with stuff that you and even my tw- 29, 30-year-old daughters didn't have to deal with. When they were that age, is that a challenge? I mean, what's the challenge? I mean, it is a challenge, obviously, but what's the challenge there? Um, I think you know, in partnership, of course, and working very closely with the school systems and the districts and the administrators and counselors there, as well as even with the parents, it it really remains and still today a village approach. Uh, we are part of that village that. Every parent, every educator needs uh, to ensure that we are providing every opportunity possible for young girls and for the youth that comes through our center 
to be successful. Um, you know, it is a safe place uh, that it provides um, the mental safeness, and we discuss, you know, the opportunities and things that are happening in society today. We talk about the challenges of COVID and the isolation and the mental struggle that it may impose. We we have conversations about that along with the not only just with the daughter or the child, but also with the parents and and with the school system. Uh, we're all in this together and and coming up with uh, the roadmap and how we're going to approach and, and make an environment where that young child can thrive. Um, I think with the physical challenges that are faced before us, uh, particularly here in the Columbus area, um, one of the things that you had mentioned before when we were talking is the crime, you know, and that is so prevalent um, that we are faced with. And how do we, how do we, what the things that we're doing in our center, how does that help our young girls? as well to be able to cope with that, overcome that, and still feel like they have an opportunity to not just become a victim of their circumstances or a victim of their environment, but that they can thrive and they can go on to do the things that they want to do, use their gifts and their talents to be successful. I mean, we had 70 homicides, 63 murders in Columbus last year. I covered a recorder's court hearing on one of them recently. 17-year-old girl, African-American girl, who was accused of being, of being a shooter in, in, uh, in a homicide in July. It's difficult for me to sit in there and watch it and, and just not feel the pain of who failed this kid. You know, and I can't imagine with, many young women has come through your doors that you don't, when you see 16, 17, 18-year-old kids, boys and girls, shooting at each other, that it doesn't break your heart and just tear your heart out. Mm. I mean, what do we do? What do we do about it? Um, you know, I, I attended and I actually was uh, a member of the board for Partners in Education uh, when I was at TSIS. And it's a Chamber of Commerce program. Through the Chamber of Commerce program. And I attended one of the ward luncheons. And Dr. Stefan Lawrence uh, was the keynote speaker. Uh, and he said something that was so profound. Former teacher of the year, now an assistant principal. Absolutely. And a Columbus uh, College. Incredibly motivating guy. Alumni. He is phenomenal. Well, he said something in his keynote speech that I think resonated and would answer your question. Um, he said, you know, when children succeed, you know, and they do well, we all want to take that credit. We all want to applaud and said, we were a part of that. If they are a stellar student, they've made their grades, they've been successful, they're still an athlete. But when they fail, no one wants to take credit for that. And so he said, we all have a part. It's not just on the administrators who and the teachers here in this room. You as businesses, and he was talking to the business partners, and at that time, that's the hat I was wearing. I was there as a representative of TSIS. He said, every business in this room has a role and responsibility to be part of that success pattern and the failure pattern for our youth. And so it, it was very profound, and it really um, set the precedence. If anybody was ever unclear, it's not just on the administrator's shoulders when we talk about what are the challenges when a child is not successful? We all have a part of that success measure and that failure measure as well. You know, 
and unfortunately in our community, those failures are recorded in courtrooms. They are recorded in front of judges. And, you know, and it's, we have a crime problem. I mean, you, you, and, and you, your, your Baker Center is in an area that's right in the heart of where a lot of it's going on. We're in the red zone. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I've never heard it called that, but that's, that's an appropriate term, the red zone. That's what the police, actually Columbus Police Department deems 31903. It is one of the red zones in the city. I've never heard it called. Wow, you just taught me something. Thank you. I will. I will learn more about that because that's. I mean, but off of Casita Road and off of North Lumpkin, and you know, I mean, if you're going to a crime scene, you're you could be going in that direction a lot of times. True. Your kids, the ones that are in your program, are driving past this, or they may know somebody's brother, or they may have a brother or sister that's involved in it. What kind of care do you have to provide to those children so they can be children, but you can help them deal with the reality that crime brings to their world? Very good question. So one of the things that uh, we recently did, as soon as I um, became the permanent executive director, is that I reached out to the Columbus Police Department, and I wanted just to invite them over, particularly there in the red zone, to say, we want to get to know you. We want our girls to know who you are, our staff to know who you are, so that you're not feared. And when we have these conversations about crime prevention and the things that we're doing, let's make sure that we have this partnership. And so it, it started from a conversation with the chief of police, um, the chief of staff to the chief of police, Katina Williams. I know Katina well. Oh, she is wonderful and an amazing lady. She is. Um, She's a role model. Yes, she is. And so it started from a conversation. She said, hey, can we set up this day to invite the Columbus Police Department that is assigned to our red zone, to our 31903? And lo and behold, it evolved. It was not only just for the Columbus Police Department. Her boss, her, the chief of police, Blackman, was involved. Uh, other women officers were invited. And then we turned around and we invited the EMS and the fire department, and it became an entire day of celebration. With public safety. With public safety. And we had 100 girls in our gym that had questions for the mayor. They had questions for, for the chiefs of police and the chiefs of the fire department and EMS. And they engaged with them. And our girls, for the first time, at least this year, last year in 2021, got to see that the people who are providing public service – are in a, in a relationship. They are our community partners. They are here servicing the community, and they're not to be feared. And so that's when you say, what are some of the things that we're doing? We're reaching out and building those relationships with our service, with our public safety. So that that's the foundation that our girls are seeing and experiencing, and it's amazing. It had to be tough on the public safety guys because I've got three daughters and a granddaughter, and they're never short of questions. I can't imagine how many questions a hundred <laughs> girls had. Um, you know, it's important to answer these kids' questions and be honest with them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, can the kids see through the phoniness, the fakeness? The I mean, is that one of the things you're learning that kids have a way to cut to the chase? Oh, of course. I, I experienced that with my own yeah. <laughs> three daughters and now grandchildren. 
um, that I have the privilege of, and definitely with the, with the girls that come through Girls Inc. They're they're pretty straightforward, a matter of fact, and you know they they are. They're going to go through the facade, and they're going to expect you to be straight up and honest with them, and they can see fake from from reality, and so that that means something when we talk about building relationships and building trust. And if you're pouring into them and you have their best interests at heart, they have to feel that. They have what, to know that. What kind of person do you want on your staff working with these young girls? Well, absolutely one who is passionate, uh, who has a vested interest in pouring into the hearts and minds of, of, of young children. Um, my father, who was a superintendent over in Talbot County, he was one of the first. What's your dad's name? J.B. King, Jr. Okay. Uh, he was the first African-American elected superintendent in the state of Georgia. And so I came from an, a background of education, okay. mind you. And um, he wanted me to actually go into being an administrator and a teacher to follow in his footsteps. And I refused to do that because all I saw as growing up, quite honestly, was my dad was always with teachers. He was always talking to a parent. He was always at a program. He was always taking kids home. He was always feeding someone, and I was like, oh, my goodness. He couldn't go to the grocery store without somebody no. grabbing him, right? Absolutely, or buying something for some other kids. Yeah. And, and you know, being that young age and influential, all I saw was my dad. I didn't see what he was doing at that young age. But he Do told you appreciate me it more oh now? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. It, Is your dad still with us? No, he actually passed um, three months prior to me graduating high school. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sure he'd be pretty proud right now. I think he would. I think he would. But he told me something. He said that, you know, education and working with youth is a ministry. And I didn't understand that then. I totally get it now. And it is a ministry. And so when you ask about what what do we look for in staff and, and team members that come to work at Girls, Inc., is that we look for that spark of ministry. Is this a ministry for you? Is this something that aligns with your gift and your talents pouring into youth because if it's not it doesn't mean that you can't volunteer or help at some point but this may not be the way you walk in your purpose but every person that is there including myself I consider us walking in our purpose you know if you're a person of faith and you do your job well it should be a ministry anyway absolutely right? because I mean you know I mean obviously you're not I mean be careful how I say this, but your faith reveals a lot about you, and people can sort of sense that that are around you a lot of time, a, a lot. Right, right. You have a strong faith. Absolutely, I declare it, and I'm not ashamed of it. And being in the vein of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I actually make that disclaimer. You know, uh, when I was in the um, fintech industry, I would say oftentimes. I am a woman of faith, so let's just go ahead and lay that out on the table. So if I refer to things and I say I'm walking in my purpose and know your gifts and know your talents because that becomes part of inclusivity, I would make that be known up front. How's your faith changed from the man, the girl that was graduating from Manchester High School to the mother, grandmother, nonprofit executive today? How's your faith changed? It hasn't changed. Um, I grew up in the church. Um, my first job when I was 10 years old was playing for the local Baptist junior choir. Um, I received $10 a month. 
pianist? Uh, I was the pianist for my church. And so, um, you know, Christian faith-based has always been there for me and it's something that I have never shied or been uh, shunned away from. And so, if anything, it has probably gotten stronger um, being that I'm able to share my gifts and my talents with uh, my community and particularly with young young children. But I think it's anyone, and, and my father even shared this with me before his passing, he said, know your purpose. Seek and know your purpose. And of course, you know, saying that to a young individual, young child, that kind of falls on deaf ears, and I didn't really get it then. But I totally, once I got into my 20s and my later 20s and my 30s, I started to reveal exactly what he was talking about. And I wrote a letter. I started writing letters to myself when I was 10. I wrote my first letter. Of course, back then, it was not necessarily a letter. It was a journal book. I don't know if you remember the journals with a nice little key on it. Mm -hmm. So I had my first little journal. And then when I became 20, I wrote a letter to myself what my 10-year-old self had experienced. And then when I turned 30, I did the same thing. I wrote another letter to myself, and when I became 40 and then 50. So I've been What did you say to... in the most recent letter? Oh, very good question. Wow. Sorry, they pay me to ask these questions. <laughs> uh -huh. um, my 50th, because it was right in the peak of the pandemic and, of course, self-sheltering. Um, that June, I had to um, experience that celebration, isolated at home with my husband and my two daughters and my grandchild. It was a 10-page letter, actually, uh, but on the computer. But one of the things I will reveal in that was just an appreciation, truly, of life, um, having the opportunity, because of the pandemic, to pause and reflect. And I think my reflection at that golden mark was probably more different than the landscape than when I reflected when I was 40 and when I was 30. No, when you're 20, you don't really understand it. Every day is a gift. It is. I mean, and to be able to do what you, I mean, I'm lucky. I, You know, um, Ernie Johnson, a great broadcaster, said they're get-to and got-to jobs. I got a get-to <laughs> job. I mean, you know, I'm lucky. I got a job that I get to do. Right. You've got a get-to job. I do. I do. I truly would say that. I've never heard it put that way, but I like that. Yes. Yeah, Google that. There's a there's a TED Talk type thing where he was speaking to the Alabama football team. It's very powerful. And, and he has a special needs child, and that it was all part of that. But as you walk in your faith, obviously you walk to a company that had that embraced faith. You now are in a position. You're in an organization that you can set the tone for what that looks like a lot of ways. And do you think that faith and faith lessons are important for the young girls to see? I think it's important for them to do their exploration of themselves. Um, whatever denomination, whatever source that their strength comes from, where they can rely on, they can go to uh, in meditation, whether that's meditation or prayer, that is where we want to provide that pathway for them to understand that this is a safe place and you can do that. Do we inflict or force uh, faith-based on them? No, we do not. 
in the vein of diversity, equity, and inclusion, we do not do that. But what you're talking about sounds like spirituality as much as it does faith. That is correct. And so we do provide them with, again, a, a safe haven and a, an environment where they can do that. Whatever background, comfort level, mentality that, that they feel comfortable to do. If we made you czar of Columbus <laughs> tomorrow and you could make one change in our city that would have a positive impact on young girls and young men, the kids that are in the, having the issues right now, what would that one change be, Dr. Burgos? Wow. That's a pretty powerful question. Imagine we'll get a powerful answer. <laughs> um, the one change. I think an appreciation of life and the gift of time. Um, what you just said resonates because I have heard police officers, I have heard people in public safety, lawyers, judges, people in the community that are dealing with our crime problem. They're telling me young people have no appreciation for the value of life, the ones they're seeing in the legal system. That's I mean, that's, I mean, do you think they're right and when they say that? They're, they're finding more and more young people, and I'm generalizing, but more and more young people yeah. that don't appreciate the value of life. I would attest that to be true. Um, I think coming from a personable place, um, I live out in Yupatoy. Okay. And several years ago, there were three young men here in the Columbus area that traveled from the Baker Village end of town, um, from Victory Drive, and made it out to our neighbor neighborhood and murdered and killed um, Gloria Short, her son Jacob, Caleb, and her granddaughter. Um, did you know Miss Short? I did. She was Where? my neighbor. We lived literally a mile from their home. Yupatoy murder, triple murder, was one of the most shocking crimes in this community. And they walked the, what, 12, 15 miles? They walked back into town, or at least that was the testimony. They arrived there at the home, according to yeah. the court documents and things of that nature, yeah. But they would have had to walk past my home, according to how they arrived at Miss Short's home, yes. And so, What kind of lady was Miss Short? A beautiful spirit, just truly a beautiful spirit, wonderful neighbor, warm and welcoming from my engagement with her. I mean, living out, Yupatoy, for people that don't know Yupatoy, it's essentially country in the city. It is. It, it's, you know, going out toward Talbotton mm -hmm. in that way, it's... It's just a beautiful area. There's horse farms out there, but there's also people that live on, you know, smaller acreage and stuff. Right. Quiet, peaceful. Um, what did the short murders do to that quiet and peace? When it first came out, it was very shocking. I think um, myself and the neighbors that live out there, we had been out there nearly 15 years before it happened, and we were... We were scared. We didn't know where it had come from. We saw all the traffic that was going up and down the road with 
police officers, GBI, FBI agents, and it was chaotic. And we were looking for answers as people who live here, not just the traffic that was coming in, but this was our home. This was our solitude. Um, it was very unnerving for us. But when it all came out within a week of the rest had been made, then and, and who the suspects were, and when we talk about, because the leading question was, is where does our youth and do they have an appreciation yeah. of life? I think that was the first time I had the exposure to see uh, via the news the suspects that had been arrested and to look into their eyes and to their faces. They were kids. They were kids. They were kids, but there was something in their spirit. Now, this is me. I can't answer for anyone else, but there was something in their spirit that was missing. And it was that was resonating on my heart. It's like they have no appreciation for life. How can I look into their eyes and there be a, this heartless feel or this heartless spirit that before the trials even began, that's what I felt. And so when you talk about what are one of the things that I would change today or if I had a magic wand and I was there, I would say definitely appreciation for life and appreciation for time because it's a gift. It is. It's a gift we get every day. It's a gift that we should realize we get we we're getting. You I want to switch back to Girls Inc. and this has been a fascinating conversation for me. Um starting to lose my voice a little bit. I apologize. But before you get out of your car, when you sit in your car before you go into your office every morning. Do you take a second to think, and if you do, kind of, do you say a prayer? Or what? How do you how do you approach what you do before you walk in there every day to to become the mother? To you got a hundred kids right or two hundred yeah. kids right now, but you if COVID protocols start to you'll have many many more in the building. Yeah. What do you what do you say What do you say to yourself to get yourself ready for that day? Oh, it starts way before I even make it in my car. Um, I wake up every day, honestly, to God, with a joy in my heart. Um, I wake up with excitement because it truly is a gift to be here. Uh, When I come into my own, I have right outside my bedroom a prayer room. Um, When my girls all attended Pinehurst and I taught them the power of prayer, we would get in our foyer every morning with this board and we would put on on the board prayers for the day. Are you praying for someone? Are you praying for something specific? And we would hold hands and we would pray. So I taught my daughters the power of prayer early on. And so now that they've grown, I've made my own prayer room right outside of my bedroom. So every morning I get up, there's a realization that I'm awake. I have joy. Thank you, Lord. And I go into my prayer room and I ask him to not just be with me, but to live through me so that others may see his glory. So that's where my joy comes from. So before I get in my car and I'm blasting my gospel music all the way down <laughs> from 20 minute, 20 minute drive. Yes. I'm enjoying my, myself and praising. I'm already happy before I get there. What's your favorite gospel song? Tasha Cobb. Tasha Cobb. Anything by Tasha Cobb. I absolutely love her. <laughs> I'm showing my ignorance now. I'm not familiar. I will Google. I will put her on YouTube and listen to her. Yes. Um, that we have a couple of visitors that are watching and they're laughing at me now. You know who Tasha Cobb is. Okay. <laughs> you know, so there is hope with you, right? <laughs> uh, um, uh, what, 
as you move into this job and, and kind of you go get through COVID, what's COVID done to to your organization, and what does it look like coming out of COVID? Sure. Um, well, definitely walking in the door uh, when I started to serve as the interim executive director, there were COVID protocols and CDC regulations already there and in place. So I, I inherited that formality into that process. Our doors never closed um, prior to my administration, and even now, we still have remained open. What we've had to do is make that pivotal change, um, adhering to the CDC guidelines so we are a mass mandate, um, not only the staff, but all the girls, and we limited visitors on site um, to come in, but everyone has to wear a mask. Um, we also do, of course, hand, sanitize, hand sanitation um, with, you know, hand sanitizer, constantly washing our hands. And then we also do social distancing. So all of our girls have assigned seating when they come in through our doors for contact tracing. So you know who's been next to who if somebody comes down with it. That is correct. And so during the month of October, November, and December, we had zero cases. We had zero cases impacting our staff. We had zero cases impacting our girls. And I suspect that changed this month. That did. We did have some impact um, because, again, I think everyone, oh, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> have gone through We that. fully understand in this room. Yeah, yeah. But we remain open. Um, girls are still coming back uh, after they have gone through their negative testing. We, we did require negative testing or COVID testing in order to resume coming back. And so we did that for our staff as well as our girls. But that was nothing new. We, we've done that um, in prior administration as well. So we're, we're pivoting. We're making that adjustment. We're making that change. And we are still serving our community daughters. We'll be back to normal soon, won't we? Um, what is normal is kind of the question, you know. <laughs> what is that? I think, um, and, and not to be cl cliche, but I think we've all had to just adjust. Everyone who has remained successful, whether you're in nonprofit, whether you're in corporate America, what have you, even here in the newsroom, you've had to adjust. And so I think that adjustment becomes the new norm. Well, I mean, good thing. I mean, from our standpoint, Zoom has been a godsend because I can now interview people That's right. that I wouldn't have been able to do before. I mean, they're really cool part to that you love your job don't you oh i do i do it shows you, you wear it well <laughs> thank you um we're near the end of this podcast i mean you've been a phenomenal guest i did not tell you i was going to do this to you so this ought to be interesting to see what happens sure. i call i call i do this with all of my guests i call it turn the tables okay i've been asking you the question yeah. you get to ask one now oh i like that it's uh the lawyers are the worst ones on the other side. The lawyer, the lawyer, <laughs> when you get professional question askers, they get tougher. Yeah. What would you say is your gift? And are you walking in your purpose? Fair question. Um, I think my gift is, and my wife would not agree with that. So I gotta be careful. Um, uh, my gift is I have ability to tell stories. You know, I first told them on the newspaper for years and decades, and now I'm telling them in a different format. This is nothing more than a story. This conversation we're having is a story. That's my gift. Um, give me the last part of it one more time. I want to think about it before I answer it. Are you walking in your purpose? 
depravo. I'm in the right forest. I may not be on the right path. But, you know, I mean, purpose, you know, when you're a parent, the purpose is to get the children raised and to get children to where they can take care of themselves. And, you know, and can become parents and, and do their thing. You know, I found purpose changes as the seasons in your life change. I think we all, I mean, you know, and I'm not talking about from a faith standpoint. I'm talking right. about, I'm talking about it from, you know, what you do and how you do it. Purpose changes, and I think the seasons direct that change. So, I mean, I'm probably dodging your question, but I think I'm answering it. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, that's, are you walking in your purpose? That will be yeah. one that keeps me up tonight. Um, phenomenal conversation. Is there anything you want to say before we close this thing out? Is there anything you want to end this on? I'll give you that opportunity because you've been an incredible human today. Well, I hope I, well, thank you first and foremost for the opportunity. It has been great. Um, I enjoy um, sharing my myself, my gift, my my joy with others, um, and being transparent about it. So, um, those of you who are listening, um, know your gift, know your purpose. Use your gift every single day, not at fifty percent, not at sixty percent, not at seventy. When God blesses us each day with the gift of time, we are to use that gift at a hundred percent. And when we do. Success happens. It's transferable. You yourself uh, have shared your background and your experiences, but when you just shared your gift, your gift is actually transferable uh, no matter where you go, whether it's for working purposes, for your family, for your circle of friends, and for your community. I would say knowing my gift, what that is, and being able to share that, whether it was back in Talbot County when I was 10 years old, transitioning over to Columbus State, uh, Columbus College at the time, and then moving into Tesis, my gift has always been there because that's what I was born with. And so being able to use that at 100% each day with joy in my heart to do it for the glory of God, I'm happy and I'm blessed. Amen. Dylan Hanson, our director over here. Dylan, I think we have a new podcast host. I think we'll let, we'll give the Chuck Williams show to Dr. Kel Burgos. I would be welcome to be back with a guest anytime, though. <laughs> we we will do that. Thank you. Uh, we're at a point now where I've got to drive this train out of here. The first thing is you can watch the Chuck Williams show on Tuesday nights on WRBL.com from 7 to 8 p.m. You also can get us on your regular podcast uh Outlets, Spotify, uh, Apple, and what am I missing? iHeart. iHeart. Okay, the one with the big iHeart up there. Okay, I should do that. On social media, you can follow me at Chuck on Twitter at Chuck Williams on Facebook Chuck Williams WRBL, and then on Instagram at Chuck Williams zero nine nine nine. Our guest today has been fascinating, Dr. Gail Burgos. She is the executive director of Girls Inc. here in Columbus, but she's much more than that, as you've just heard if you've listened to this. Uh, Dr. Burgos, thank you for being here. And, you know, it says the Chuck Williams show, but this isn't about Chuck Williams. This is about the people we talk to and the things we learn. And today, 
today was a good day. Good day, good day. Hope to see you back next week.